Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into Market Talk. Thank you for joining us here on the program today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you along for another conversation about the markets and issues impacting rural America. And as we are counting down to the end of the year, the next few episodes, we're going to have some of our economist friends on the program with us to discuss the current outlook for the markets and the ag economy and more. On the way here today on the show, Tanner Emke, lead grain and oilseed economist with CoBank. He'll be joining us coming up at segment two and three. CoBank just released their report looking ahead at 2024. We'll dive into that and more coming up here on today's show with Tanner Emke. Also later in the program, we're going to head back to Kansas City, Missouri to the NAFB convention back in November and listen into part of a newsmaker session looking at weather with Drew Lerner from World Weather Inc. All that more code up here on the show today. First up, though, let's kick it off. Take a look at some news headlines here on the program today. Well, Congress wants to curb financial crime, so it passed the Corporate Transparency Act a few years ago. Well, it's in effect as of the start of 2024. Christine Tidgren with Iowa State University's Center of Ag Law and Taxation says this will cause a bit more work. Farmers and farm businesses will be required to register. The problem to solve is shell companies. Anyone can make one, and there is no required reporting. So things like money laundering, financial transactions that are corrupt, these have been able to take place under the radar, and the people involved haven't necessarily been easy to find. Ted Green says about 32 million entities will need to report to the U.S. Department of Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, affecting some producers. If you're just a farmer who just uh, farms in your own name and you haven't set up any sort of entity like an LLC, you, you won't have to do this reporting. But if you're a limited partnership, uh, you had to go to the Secretary of State's office to get that, that limited liability protection. So you'll be subject to this as well. This includes LLCs and corporations. They will have to fill out paperwork for beneficial owners, which includes those who own 25% or more or have substantial control. The company's going to have to report their officers, somebody who's making the decisions for the company, that type of thing. Tidgren says small businesses will need to provide information about their business, then beneficial owner names, addresses, and a picture of a photo ID. To prove who they are. So it's going to be a little bit of an administrative challenge because the rules also say if at any point after you've made your first report, any of that information changes, maybe one of the beneficial owners dies, maybe the address of one of the beneficial owners changes, then you'll have 30 days to make updates. Brand new companies will have 90 days to enter the information to the online portal as they set up. Tidgren says attorneys will help out in that case. The other category of existing businesses has a full year to report. 
I would suggest these people talk to the attorney that set up the entity for them. If they didn't work with an attorney, then I, I, I would suggest they can they can read the rules that are out there. There's lots of information available to try to figure out what you have to report. But finding the beneficiaries to report might not be as easy as talking to your CPA. Because there's a little bit of lack of clarity of whether doing that type of work is the practice of law. So it's really the attorney that helped you set up the entity that's probably best positioned if you have questions about how to make these beneficial ownership reports. Tidgren has put up a blog post with more information on the subject as well as links to the places farmers may want to go to learn more. It is at calt.iastate.edu. Well, congressional lawmakers will try again to pass a farm bill in 2024, and some have already made out their New Year's wish list of what to include. Conservative Republicans Chip Roy of Texas and Iowa's Chuck Grassley stressed in a recent letter to House and Senate leaders the need to pass in the new year an updated and improved farm bill. Grassley told farm reporters that reducing SNAP payments to pre-pandemic levels, something most Democrats oppose, is still key to finding savings for farm programs. Now the pandemic's over, uh, SNAP should go back to its pre-pandemic levels plus inflation. Then the second thing would be ensuring farm payments go to farmers with dirt under their fingernails and actively engaged. And Grassley says the next farm bill needs to rein in what he and other Republicans consider abuse of the Commodity Credit Corporation, or CCC, funds. And that's just not a hit on the Biden administration, although they have uh, used it contrary to congressional intent. Uh, But don't forget, uh, Trump did the same thing. Grassley argues the CCC's become a slush fund. Meantime, Grassley says food security is national security. So we're working to make sure China and Russia, who like to buy thousands of acres of American soil and put our nation at risk to keep them from doing that. Especially with their recent land buys near sensitive military sites, Grassley and Wisconsin Democrat Tammy Baldwin have also introduced the Fertilizer Research Act to direct USDA to report on why fertilizer prices now make up more than one-third of farm input costs. Well, on most dairies, the big question is, how do I put more milk in the tank? One potential answer lies in improving persistency or helping cows maintain milk production after they peak. Brittany Wood, Director of Canola Utilization for the Canola Council of Canada, shares advice on how to improve persistency on the dairy. Persistency is really about the dairy cow producing high-quality milk at high volume for as long as they can. We think about this milk lactation curve that the dairy cow has. They give birth to their calf, then they are increasing their milk production, reaching a peak milk production a few months into that lactation curve. And then over the course of the next following months, they slowly start to reduce the amount of milk that they're producing. The idea around persistency is that they meet that peak and then they keep producing high volumes of milk for as long as possible, reducing that rate of decline of milk production so that the cow is putting more milk into the milk tank and improving profitability for the farm. Improving persistency is a challenge for the dairy industry. It has been a bit of an elusive task for the dairy industry to understand this from a genetic point of view. It was thought to be mainly controlled by genetics. 
but that persistency or heritability factor of that persistency through genetics is really low. You have to look at other areas of management and understand what is in your control within your management that you can do to help support the cow. And we really do now have some research that's looking at protein sources to see how they can actually work to support the cow during that time period. And that research took place during a trial at the U.S. Dairy Forage Research Center. They looked at feeding cows diets that contained either canola meal or soybean meal. Cows started on trial about 85 days into milk, so they were post that peak milk. And when they looked at the cows at about four weeks into treatment, they found that the canola meal fed cows actually were producing 2.9 pounds more milk per day. This is an observation that is really consistently seen in the literature. When we feed cows canola meal, it's very consistent that they will produce more milk compared to other protein sources. At the end of the trial, when they compared those two groups again, they found that the canola meal fed cows were actually producing 7.2 pounds more milk per day. You can learn more about canola feeding and more online at canolamazing.com. All right, on the way next, we'll be joined by Tanner M. Key from CoBank here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, CoBank has released their 2024 Year Ahead report, and we want to take a dive into that report and look at some of the factors that could shape our rural economy and the ag economy as we move into 2024, or some of the outlooks here in the grain and oilseed market specifically. Joining us for that conversation, he is the lead economist for grains and oilseeds with CoBank. Tanner Emke is with us here on the show today. Tanner, always good to talk with you and have a conversation. I hope you're doing well. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Th- uh, good to have me. Be- or Thanks for having me back, Jesse. Well, thank you for the time. And uh, let's, uh, let's dive in first. Kind of headline here, looking at this 2024 year ahead report. Uh, just set this up for us a little bit, Tanner. What was the big thing that uh, that CoBank found in terms of looking ahead at the rural economy and the ag economy as we move into next year. What's the what's the big headline that came from this report? Well, as you know, Jesse, uh, we live in a world of risk that seems to only continue escalating and that's slowing down the world economy. And it didn't matter it doesn't matter what market you're in, what commodity you're in, the slowing global economy uh, is going to be affecting uh, the outlook and uh, our anticipation is that that's going to be uh, causing some pressure on commodity prices in general. Uh, that being said, we've got the expectation of the Federal Reserve to be cutting rat- rates at some point uh, next year. Now, that's way up in the air. Obviously, there's a lot of things we could talk about uh, in regard just to the Federal Reserve uh, and uh, their response to inflation uh, slowing down. But the outlook here is that uh, we're going to have to go with what uh, the market is anticipating, which is uh, some measure of interest rate cuts next year. What does that mean for agriculture? What does that mean for commodity prices in general? Uh, that's a positive. 
because as interest rates come down, that's a loosening of the monetary uh, policy, easing of the money supply, and that puts a stronger floor under commodity prices because the value of the dollar uh, is going to come down. And that's the trend that we, we're seeing right now in the value of the dollar, dollar as we head into 2024. So uh, the trend there I, I anticipate is to continue uh, if the Federal Reserve follows through on this plan, uh, in addition to uh, a slowing global economy. Uh, so what, what that means then is, broadly speaking, that puts a stronger floor under commodity prices because would, uh, we would see stronger export demand for uh, our commodities. Well, throwing that stronger floor under commodity prices, I think, is something that a lot of producers want to hear because right now, you know, we're at the end of 2023. We're looking to next year. A lot of producers are, are making decisions about their inputs for next year. And I know uh, something as well you guys found in this report. Uh, we got a lot of high costs out there that, uh, you know, even if we start to cut interest rates, Tanner, there's there's a lot of farmers that are, are making key decisions the next, you know, month or so ahead and they're looking at possibly planting their most expensive crop ever. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's always hard to hard to talk about uh, cost production because costs never seem to go down. Uh, but we do have a couple of things here to celebrate, Jesse, and that is our in our uh, costs of your your big inputs like fuel and fertilizer are down compared to last year. Uh, interest expenses exposed to come down, is expected to come down if the Federal Reserve is, uh, raise, lowers their rates, excuse me. So there's the positives there. Now, everything else that uh, we follow, you, you, you've got uh, labor costs continually going up so because we're continually tight on labor in this country. And that only seems to be getting worse. Uh, we have um, uh, rising uh, expenses for uh, other raw materials. As we head into, uh, into 2024, we're seeing steel, copper, and lumber prices kind of recover. In a response to this expectation that the Federal Reserve would cut interest rates, thereby making construction a little bit more viable. And so, therefore, you're, uh, we're already seeing those uh, raw materials being, being bid up. And that's going to cost the farmers some more on the farm if they're wanting to uh, do any CapEx projects like building a grain bin or a, a warehouse, anything like that. Uh, machinery prices also remain fairly high. Land prices uh, don't seem to be budging either. So when you look at those key costs, especially land and machinery, uh, there's no sign that those are coming down. And it doesn't look like 2024 would be the year where, where we'd see those really drop down. It would be perhaps in the years 2025 uh, where we, or 2026, where we see perhaps those, uh, those expenses like land and cash rents and machinery uh, kind of start to soften. Um, but at, on the big and the big picture, yes, you're right. Uh, it is going to be a very expensive crop. Hopefully, we can continue to see a weakening of fertilizer and fuel prices to take some of the edge off. And that's a that's a good point, and hopefully that is the case. And you know, in general, with the U.S. economy, um, you know, you alluded to the Fed and the rate cuts, and and just looking at inflation in general and where things stand. And I know too. Uh, of course, a lot of folks are having conversations with their ag banker right now. I think another good caveat, though, for us, Tanner, we've talked about this before. Farmers are coming off a few years of very good profitability, so hopefully they, they have a little bit of cash reserves. But I know some of those conversations here moving into 2024 with ag bankers uh, could, be a, could be a tough conversation. I guess maybe 
your thoughts on that? Talk about that. I don't know how much of that was necessarily wrapped up in, in Cobank's report looking to next year, but what's your thoughts there? Can you maybe share some thoughts on, on that aspect of it as we move into next year? For sure, there's there's going to be a little bit of stress out there with commodity prices having come down and expenses uh, feel, remaining fairly static. Um I will point out, you noted uh, earlier, Jesse, that we had some really phenomenal in, uh, incomes on the farm over the last couple of years. And our customers uh, have some interesting anecdotes of what that has meant for them, for the co-ops I'm talking about. A lot of the co-ops of our, our customers are telling us that farmers have asked to defer income not only into 2024, which is not uncommon, uh, into, you know, deferring it into the next year, but into 2025. And in some rare instances, even into 2026, okay, farmers are carrying over a fair amount of cash and they defer that income to reduce their tax expense. So I would just preface it saying that, yeah, we're going to see a compression of margins, but we're carrying over a fair amount of cash uh, from the last couple of years, uh, which have been very healthy. So I think that although we are going to hear some stories out there of, of financial stress on the farm, and that's not to be minimized by any regard, uh, we do have to keep in mind that the farmer is coming in with a fair amount of cash. And uh, a lot of farmers are trying to move that, spread that cash out over uh, the future years to reduce their tax liability. What about the global economic picture? I know you guys looked at that in your 2024 year ahead report as well. And uh, I think we can kind of book in the U.S. economy. You know, I hear a lot of headlines about, you know, China's economy is in bad shape and oh, no. And, you know, kind of doom and gloom there. But yet I don't necessarily see that affecting the U.S. economy as much as one would think. Your thoughts just on, on China and or that global economic outlook as we move into next year, Tanner? Well, China is one of our biggest trading partners in agriculture and one of our biggest trade, our biggest trading partner for the United States. And so our economies are tied together. Now, we we can hate each other as much as we want. But at the end of the day, the United States benefits from a healthy Chinese economy. Um, we need them growing so we can sell them more, more of our products. Uh, China clearly has a lot of headline, uh, headwinds that have been talked about a lot over the past year that are not, are not going away. Uh, they have a declining population. They got the demographic issues of a very high uh, youth unemployment rate. Uh, they've got uh, a lot of uh, elderly that are retiring and not a lot enough workers to replace them. Uh, they've got a very toxic debt situation, especially in regards to their real estate sector. They've got the business community scared. Uh, with all of the talk coming, all the regulations uh, coming from their uh, government. And then there's the, the, the fear about something that could happen between the United States and China, militarily speaking, uh, over Taiwan or China's support of some of our adversaries uh, like Russia. So we have some concerns there that are causing headwinds uh, for their economy that are not to be discounted at all. They're, they're all fairly big. Every, every individual one of those um, uh, headwinds that I itemized there, Jesse, are all, are all fairly large concerns. And so there's some big concerns over the Chinese economy next year. Uh, they could, uh, again, slip into a period of deflation, and that would not be good for the Chinese economy because then they would spiral uh, 
uh, out of control, uh, potentially, if they don't have uh, the capacity to dig themselves out. So we we need a healthy China. Uh, it's just that this is the, the China today is not the China it was several years ago. And so uh, that growth outlook is quite a bit uh, lower than it was in prior years. And so our exports ultimately are going to be affected by that. Well, once again, we're joined today by Tanner Emke, lead grain and oilseed economist with CoBank. We'll be back with more here on Market Talk with Tanner on the way right after this. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today with Tanner Emke, lead economist for grains and oil seeds with CoBank. We're going over the 2024 uh, year ahead report from CoBank. You can find that on their website, cobank.com, under the knowledge exchange section. Tanner, uh, as we continue here, I, I noticed as I was looking at the report, I want to segue a little more into just the, the grain and oil seed markets and the fundamentals here. Um, as you looked at the U.S. ag economy and looked at grain specifically, uh, you guys had a headline in there looking about renewable diesel. And, of course, we've heard a lot about renewable diesel and these crush plants being built here in the U.S. and the talk that that could shift some acreage to soybeans in 2024. What are your thoughts with where that market sits currently? Could we really, could 2024 be the year where we really see this explosion for renewable diesel? What's your thoughts? Well, the last couple of years have been very positive for renewable diesel and increased crush capacity in the United States. Uh, that theme is going to continue in the next year. Uh, we have a lot of borrowers that are expanding their operations, uh, their crush facilities specifically, uh, new greenfield plants uh, coming online. And so in certain areas, what that's going to do is tighten up the local demand uh, or tighten the supply rather as demand increases. And that's gonna put a stronger local cash bid uh, in the country uh, where you're gonna see that tightness. And what that ultimately is gonna do is that's gonna pull a few more acres into soybeans. Now, I. It's hard to say this is going to be a permanent move by any means. Markets are always fluid for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and what I'm referring to there specifically, Jesse, is that we are having uh, record imports of vegetable oils into the United States, uh, specifically canola, uh, because of rising demand of, for uh, from renewable uh, diesel. And what that does, therefore, is that takes away some of that bullish case uh, for soybeans increasing their acreage. At the same time, uh, Brazil last year had a record soybean crop, uh, so we lost some of our exports uh, because more of our soybeans went to domestic crush, and the Brazilians picked up more of the export market from us. Uh, now, that being said, uh, we've got a concerning situation in Brazil uh, with their crop, especially in the north. It's still very dry. You know, They've gotten some rains in some areas. But we're going into uh, deep into the growing season in Brazil in a very concerning situation. And that may 
uh, if, if they don't get a relief from the heat and the drought down in uh, Brazil, what that ultimately gonna, is going to do then, Jesse, is that's going to incentivize still more um, excuse me, soybean acres over the U.S. as more export demand comes um, back our way. Uh, and where are those acres going to come from? Some acres will come from corn. Some will come from wheat. Some will come from a whole bunch of other crops, uh, it, be it uh, rice, uh, sunflowers, you know, anything else out there uh, that is uh, in those in that range of where soybeans are grown, soybeans are going to pick a few more acres up where they can. Uh, but we'll see what happens in Brazil. But uh, on the note, as you mentioned earlier, with uh, renewable diesel, absolutely, that's a continual driver. And we're going to see that happen for at least for the next three years. I think another thing we could tie in with uh, with renewable diesel here as well is sustainable aviation fuel. We've seen some headlines here just in the last couple of weeks. You know, the uh, Treasury Department says they're going to use the GREET model to determine tax credits, et cetera, for, for SAF. And, you know, SAF's looking like another opportunity to be, you know, um, w- with ethanol kind of hitting – I don't want to say ethanol hitting its cap, but, you know, ethanol's kind of at its – at that's where it's at, at its point, you know, sustainable aviation fuel for, you know, corn or even if it's bio-based, whatever the case may be, looks to be another avenue, another opportunity here. Is that something that you're watching as well here that could impact the uh, the grain and oil seed markets in 2024, Tanner? Yeah, Jesse, and I appreciate you bringing that up. That's an important issue. Uh, ethanol producers have had very strong margins, although those margins are coming down uh, with uh uh, the drop in fuel prices, and that's going to be weighing on uh, ethanol prices. Uh, but we've had uh, a very strong run here this year. We anticipate that to continue, um, although it'll be yes, a lower margin net a year uh, for the ethanol producers next year, it's still going to be fairly healthy uh, because uh, we still have a record corn crop that, they, that they're benefiting from, and they're going to be increasing the amount of corn that they uh, use uh, for ethanol production. So I think the I think the uh, the the thesis is still there uh, for corn usage for ethanol uh, to remain fairly robust uh, in 2024. And now you got some of these other factors uh, that just add, like SAF that have uh, just an even stronger thesis for using uh, ethanol uh, going forward. So again, that's going to be tempering the shift of acres out of corn over soybeans when you've got both both the the thesis on both biofuels ethanol and renewable diesel being very strong. Uh, and so really, I think the shift in acres next year is going to be really coming out, out a lot of crops, uh, other crops, and uh, wheat, I think, is probably going to be the uh, perhaps the big loser there. And that's a good point you raised because, I, you know, I think about the shift in acres, I, you know, it's no secret. I think we know this, Tanner. A lot of farmers, especially Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, you know, they like to grow corn. I mean, year in and year out, king, you know, corn yeah. is king, and, and they like to, you know, put corn in the ground versus doing anything else. And so I think that stands to wonder. And, two, a couple with that, you know, you brought up South America and Brazil. If South America does have, you know, weather problems and that safrina crop is delayed, I wonder if that could lead to some late, changes in in thought process here for what u.s farmers put in the ground in the spring i just you know i think about this and i i agree with you i think if acres are going to get shifted you know wheat could be a big loser or some other crops because at the end of the day i think u.s farmers they they love to play at corn and soybeans and beyond that 
you know, things are kind of up for debate sometimes, isn't it, Tanner? Yeah, corn and beans is a rotation uh, that wins uh, agronomically and economically. Farmers don't want to abandon that rotation. You don't want to get soybeans to nematode in the soil. You don't want to get corn uh, earworm, you know, all those issues. So on the margin, there might be some trading makers between corn and beans. Uh, but uh, as we've seen for decades now, uh, a lot of the shift is gonna, uh, always comes out of the small grains like wheat. Well, and thinking of that wheat market, too, um, that's been an interesting picture globally here. Thoughts in wheat before uh, we wrap it up here today, too, a couple other things. I mean, we've seen China in buying U.S. wheat here towards the end of the year. We know Russia's had a big crop. They've been dumping a lot of wheat on the world market. Uh, when you look at the 2024 outlook for wheat, uh, beyond maybe some acreage moves in the U.S., uh, what's your overall thought in just this global wheat picture right now, Tanner? Well, the story is all about the Russians. It's Russia, Russia, Russia. I mean, and that, that is really the story here. Uh, although Russian exports have started to slow down a little bit and they've seen a depletion of their stocks, they're still fairly ample. And uh, so that continues to weigh on the market. You mentioned China. China had a uh, a bad crop this year uh, because they had some rain uh, during harvest. And so they are now, or they have been now uh, importing a fair amount from the United States because soft red winter uh, wheat uh, traded in Chicago uh, was a fairly big crop this year for the U.S. And for a period of time there, we had the cheapest wheat, we had che cheapest in the world. And then, so the Chinese were taking advantage of that. Um, I think going forward, we, we still have to keep our eye on Russia. And now the market is starting to trade next year's crop. Uh, and it looks like Russia has got a very healthy crop right now uh, that's in dormancy. And so the concern here is that it's just gonna be another record crop or near record crop in Russia next year when that crop comes on, when that crop is harvested uh, in June, July, uh, that that time frame, August. And so I think um, the market is, is struggling with that. Now, around the world, we're still fairly tight on wheat, uh, but the Russians just continue to dominate the story, and we're already looking into next year, perhaps in yet another record crop. Well, Tanner, great thoughts. Before we let you go, anything final you'd want to share or reiterate about the uh, 2024 year-ahead report from CoBank or anything else uh, in general in these uh, grain markets uh, that you'd want to mention before we wrap it up today? I'd say uh, the the outlook uh, from the way I look at it uh, is generally a positive on so many things. Uh, our cost of inputs are down. Fuel and fertilizer are down. Interest, interest expense is going to be coming down uh, next year. And with a cheaper dollar, uh, conceivably putting a stronger floor under prices, I think that uh, next year is not going to be as bad, perhaps, as some, as some are forecasting. Well, good thoughts. You can read the full 2024 year-ahead report from CoBank online, cobank.com, under their Knowledge Exchange tab. With that, Tanner Emke, lead economist for Grains and Oil Seeds with CoBank. Always good to talk with you, Tanner. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. And once again, real great stuff there. I uh, do appreciate it. Tanner M. Key, lead grain and oilseed economist with CoBank, joining us here today on the show. And as uh, I was mentioning, their website, a, a lot of great folks on the CoBank team, and they uh, publish a lot of research. CoBank.com forward slash knowledge dash exchange. 
You'll also see the tab for the Knowledge Exchange if you just go to cobank.com. It's up in the header of their website. You click on that, you'll see a lot of uh, great information, uh, including the article we uh, were just talking about with Tanner looking ahead to 2024. They've got uh, research and articles up there looking at slow farmers selling, frustrating elevators acquisition of corded soybeans, uh, the butterfat boom has just begun, looking at carbon capture and much, much more. You could find a, a lot of information. Again, just go to cobank.com forward slash knowledge dash exchange, or if you look on the Cobank website, you'll see the tab up at the top for the knowledge exchange. All right, coming up next, we're going to listen back to a segment I shared on our Christmas episode of the program as we went back to Kansas City to the NAFB convention for a newsmaker session discussing weather with Drew Lerner from World Weather Inc. We'll listen to that on the way next here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back here to Market Talk. Once again, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. As we wrap up today's program, we want to listen back to a newsmakers session panel from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri, back in November. And this was a panel looking at weather, and it was uh, with Drew Lerner from World Weather, Inc. And we're going to listen to just a, a few of the comments from Drew Lerner during that session here. And uh, I'm going to go through and kind of set up each question for you here during this final segment of today's show. And the first question was just looking back at the 2023 growing season and some of the weather issues that farmers faced. Well, I think the roots in 2023 actually go back to 2020. Uh, we entered this particular solar cycle in 2020. Uh, it happens to be a very unique solar cycle. It's a 22-year pa pattern. Uh, once we got into uh, the year 2020, we immediately went into a, a La Nina, right? And the 22-year solar cycle in La Nina, they don't get along really well. We end up with a lot of dryness. And uh, in 2020, we developed this, uh, this North American drought that extended from Mexico clear up into Canada. And we've been dealing with it ever since. Even today, we still have drought in all those same places. Uh, the drought in the U.S. obviously is further to the east than it was in 2020 and 2021. But, uh, yeah, so that's where the root is. And, uh, of course, it's been impacted by first La Nina and now El Nino. And we're still dealing with the same issues. We, we thought maybe we would see a change with El Nino come around. But uh, that so far hasn't been the case. And, uh, but I think it will be, we've got one more year left in what I think is uh, some pretty adverse conditions and uh, we will break away. But we do have to deal with another year of this, I think. We have not turned the corner. Uh, you know, the, rain, the, the we still have drought on the drought monitor right across a big part of the central U.S., you know, portions of the plains and western Corn Belt still dealing with that. The good news is that this is autumn and uh, it should get cooler, right? We've had a crazy warm uh, autumn so far and that hasn't helped our moisture profile much, you know. Uh, but what we're concerned with is that we're not going to be able to generate a lot of moisture coming up from the Gulf of Mexico because the dominating weather pattern this winter 
will be very classic El Nino, which is a northwest flow. Uh, so the jet stream is going to be bringing cooler air once in a while and certainly not a lot of moisture. So that means we're going to go through a big part of the winter without much relief in these drier biased areas. And uh, when we get into the spring, uh, we're still going to be dealing with the same kind of flow pattern for a while longer. And so we'll end up with still fighting moisture deficits in the spring. I think we'll have like maybe a two or three week, no, I won't say two or three week, but a few week period in the spring where we can get some better precipitation to occur as before we go into the summer pattern. But the, from what I've looked at so far, we're going to see some more uh, ridginess in the middle of the country, you know, a drier bias, um, warmer than normal temperatures, all that. So if we don't get rid of these moisture deficits in the next few weeks, we're probably going to be fighting a similar fight in 2024. And during the panel, the question was asked about South American weather and the impacts that their weather can have on the U.S. markets. Yeah, it's a good question and a good, yeah, it's a long dissertation too I've got for you. So the, the situation in South America uh, is very interesting uh, to me. Uh, like I said, I've been doing this for 44 years and I have never seen uh, the monsoon in Brazil struggle like it is struggling now. We've had delays in the start of seasonal rains, but there hasn't been a complete absence of the flow pattern. Now, monsoon to a lot of folks is just a lot of rain, but in reality, it's a, it's a flow pattern, and, and that flow pattern comes with a lot of moisture. But the flow pattern is necessary in order to get it to rain. And what's happening in Brazil is that that flow is not there. And uh, every day I take a look at satellite imagery and you can go and look at what's going on in the Amazon River Basin and it is cloud free. Normally, it's starting mid-October, that basin should be just filled with convection and clouds and every day since mid-October there's been hardly, I mean there's been a few clusters of storms but nothing that would come even close to resembling normal weather. And so we're still hung up on that. And when I look out two weeks at a time, I'm not seeing any good reason for that to change. Uh, just this morning, though, looking at the end of the two-week forecast maps, I did start seeing some subtle hints that maybe the monsoon flow would begin to evolve. That's now, you know, 1st of December. So I've been telling folks today that this abnormality in, in Mato Grosso and in, in Mato Grosso de Sol and Goyas uh, and even the northeast part of Brazil is probably going to stay with us, you know, for a two or three week period. Now, it is going to rain, you know, this weekend, Sunday through Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, uh, and everyone's going to get all excited about it, but it, it's not going to be well-distributed uh, well rain. It's going to be, you know, Joe Blow on one side of the fence is going to end up getting two inches of rain, and, and the other guy on the other side is going to end up with a half inch, and, and it's still going to be warm. Not as hot as it is right now, but it's still warm. So they're faced with a very serious situation, obviously, and having the monsoon delayed this long uh, puts that safrina crop, both corn and, co and cotton, at huge risks. And we're really crossing a line um, that we can't really go back on uh, with it being so late. Uh, some of those farmers up there in Monte Grosso have already planted twice. Uh, and, you know, the talk now is, well, we'll just forget the soybean crop and we'll go with a full season cotton crop or, you know, maybe we'll plant safrina corn without having the previous crop. 
I, I think these are decisions that definitely have to be made uh, because I don't expect the rain next week to be great enough for them to, re to make a decision that they're going to still be able to plant their soybeans and get done and get it out of there and get uh, time enough for the safrina corn. So I do think we're, we've gone to the point or we will have gone too far. Um, the situation there, it, that's was half of the story, right? Uh, there's southern Brazil. And southern Brazil is getting clobbered by all this crazy amount of rainfall, right? Every, every three or four days we go into this period where we get, you know, three to seven inches of rain and local totals to 10 to 12 inches and it just it keeps happening. It's been going on since the early part of October. Again, that's comments from back in November at a NAFB convention panel with Drew Lerner from World Weather Inc. We're out of time on Market Talk today. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out-yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company.